You're listening to the Eastside Church Podcast, and we appreciate you joining us. Let's listen in to a message from Pastor Alex Barefoot. Well, good morning. We're glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles open to James chapter 2, we're going to get into that. I'm excited about this chapter. Remember, as we talked last, last time I, I spoke, we were in James chapter 1, and we and we talked about the whole idea that the Bible is not broken down in chapter and verse when it was written. It's, it's broken down into chapter and verse now so that we have the ability to turn to it real quickly. But this is a letter from the brother of Jesus to the church. And when he picks up in chapter 2, sometimes we forget that he's still talking about chapter 1. So he's still talking about faith. And remember that the tagline or the thing that, that we are, uh, the thesis of really chapter one was that counting all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials because the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness or patience. And so we're still talking right now in chapter 2. He's still addressing the testing of your faith. He's still talking about how God tests your faith. And, and, and he, as he says that and he begins that, he, he starts in verse 1. He says, my brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly, by the way, that just talks to you about the importance of the large gathering as well. A man with gold rings in fine apparel and here and there should also come in and, and a poor man in filthy clothes and you pay attention to the one wearing the fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in the good place and you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit here at the footstool. Have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? All right, now this is, this is where it gets dicey. This is where it gets dicey. What he's saying is there's, there's no person more valuable than another person. He's saying no matter how much influence, no matter how much money, no matter what your what your personal view, when you see somebody and you assess them, you, you, <laughs> you look them up and down and you, you come to your conclusion about them. He's saying if you do this and you have partiality, you sin. We do it all the time. We do it in the church. We do it with communicators. We do it with givers. We do it with what you do for a living. <laughs> what do you, I mean, what's one of the first questions we ask somebody? What do you do for a living? Because we want to assess their value. And God says this is a sin. Not only that, he says it's a test. Of faith. Because kingdom doesn't value people like that. Kingdom doesn't respond like that. This is hard, isn't it? 
because we all do it. <laughs> Everybody in the room is like, Ugh. it's evil thoughts. Let me say that again. It is evil thoughts not to value each other equally. Why? Because it's not kingdom. Jesus died for all. And so what James is saying is, count it all joy when you fall into this test of whether you're going to show partiality or not. Because the testing of your faith, of whether you're going to show partiality or not, is going to make you more like Jesus. You're and as you endure in that faith, as you learn in that faith, as God's grace teaches you how to not show partiality, you're going to be complete, lacking nothing. You're going to learn. And, and that's one of the things that I, I want us to see as we continue. It says, these are evil thoughts, this partiality thing. Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But we... But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich, in the rich who drag you into prison, into courts? Do they blaspheme that noble name in which you're called? Isn't it, the, isn't it the powerful and the wealthy that do that? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbors yourself. You do, you do well, but if you show partiality, you commit sin. Somebody say that. You commit sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. If you show partiality to a believer, if they come into your midst, you've committed sin. Now, I'm going to lighten the load. Because what we do is when we think about sin and we think about what he's writing here and we think about the application of that in our everyday life, I think, it, I think it's darker than than James really, I think we perceive it darker. Because what, what is really sin? Define sin for me. What's sin? Sin is? Missing the mark. So if we take this in context and we say, count on all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, for the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance or steadfastness. And when that has done its perfect work, you'll be complete, perfect, mature, Lacking nothing. But when you show partiality in a congregation of believers, you, give me the other definition, you miss, you miss the mark. You miss the mark. So what, what's he pointing out? He's pointing out that this is the test. This is the test. This is, this is how you know that you're being transformed is that you that you realize what kingdom really is and that you allow yourself to be changed into thinking the way God thinks. This is what he's saying. He's, he's saying, make sure that when you see 
your evil thoughts or your evil deeds or this, this partiality that you recognize it for what it is and you count it all joy because you've stumbled into something and you know that God's in the midst of that and he wants to teach you. He wants to teach me how to not show partiality. Anybody find this difficult? Come on. Isn't this hard? How well do you think you can do it without grace? I mean, without the power of God, without the salvation of God, actively doing something, without the yeast of the grace of God in your life, can you succeed? No, it is the power of the cross the power that has the ability to overcome death and sin, sin and the grave that gives you, empowers you to be able to respond rightly to bad thinking, to places where you miss the mark. I don't think James, it, it comes across heavy, but I don't think he's trying to be heavy. What I, what I think he's trying to do is, is warn us and encourage us to make sure that we respond to God and that we recognize how kingdom things are. He says, don't you realize that the kingdom of God has been promised to the poor? Don't you realize that, that he wants to show himself strong through them? And you go, yeah, I know that the kingdom is supposed to come through him, them. So where am I? Nine, thank you. Somebody's following. No, verse nine, but if you show partiality, you commit sin or, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. And then he reminds us, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point is guilty of it all. For he who has said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now, if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so do as those who will be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy. Judgment, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown mercy. Judgment is, is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Excuse me, that's, when I, that's why I wasn't making sense to me. I was like, what? For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. And then, you see how context makes everything? And then he says, mercy triumphs over judgment. We, we just like the mercy triumphs over judgment. <laughs> we like that verse. <laughs> That's a good verse. Whew, I'm glad mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, I can do what I want to do or I can be who I want to be because mercy triumphs over judgment. No, it doesn't. It only triumphs over judgment for the one who actually shows mercy. It's, and, 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 and James is saying, man, you, you've, got to, you've got to make sure that you're applying this stuff. So what does it profit, verse 14? What does it profit, my brother, if somebody says that he has faith but doesn't have works? 
What does it profit if somebody says, I've got faith, but doesn't have works? Can faith save him? Question mark. Can faith save him? What's the answer? The answer is no. If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you do not have the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, somebody say thus, also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is But someone will say, they'll argue, well, you have faith and I have works. So show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. Let's, everybody read this with me. I'm, this is going to mess you up. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Are they saved? Do they have faith that there's one God? They do. They know. They know. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting off my notes. We have such a hard time with this because of emotion, not theology. We don't like, we don't like the emotional aspect of what it means to actually be accountable to what we do. And we certainly don't want to be accountable for something that only grace can produce in us. He's not saying this works that you're doing is going to be done by your own strength. He's going to be, he's saying that once you come into salvation with Jesus and everything Jesus did, everything that was pointed out all the way through Scripture, he's not talking about people who don't know the Word. He's talking about people who were warned by the Old Testament, and here they come into the church believing that Jesus is who he said he is and has this transforming power that is able to move them from darkness. You have been conveyed from darkness into light. There, there is, there's this, there's this uh, evidence, there's, there's this fruit of you being born again. There's this fruit of the Spirit of God that is living in you that has the ability to produce something that you and I cannot produce, and that's called grace. Grace is not mercy. Grace is the power of God that works in our circumstances that does more than we can do on our own, and we, we are saved by grace through faith. How are you saved by grace? It is the power of God that came on the cross. Brandon said it last week. He said, sin is so hard to overcome that God sent his only son so sin could be overcome. 
He, he never intended for the church to think that Jesus died on the cross so you wouldn't have to go to hell. He never intended that. And it's not fire insurance. It's so that you could be a representative of the kingdom of God. What makes hellish forces tremble? They do not produce fruit and have no ability to produce kingdom. That's not true for the church. The church has been born again. Your spirit has come alive to God. And as you come alive to God, there was a power that is at work at the cross of Jesus that has overcome sin and death. And so you, you, as you learn to depend on God, as you count in all joy because God is with you and you believe in him, there is a grace available to the believer that will allow you to produce kingdom that demons can't produce. Do they still believe in one God? Yes, but they aren't born again. They don't, their spirit has, their spirit man is not in alignment and in agreement with most high God. They're in opposition of the Lord. They are enemies of God. And so we are united. We are one with Christ. We are sons and daughters of God. We are heirs of salvation and the kingdom. We are adopted into the family of God. We are not aliens. We are aliens on this planet. We're not aliens to God. We are sons and daughters. And we have the ability through great grace and the mercy of God to produce kingdom. And so what James is saying is, he's saying, you got to make sure that when you, when you believe that you produce kingdom, that you produce kingdom, not in your own works, but because you're being transformed. You want it, it produces change. When you have an encounter with God, I've never known anybody that had an encounter with God, that came face to face with God, that heard the voice of God, that was not transformed. You can't show me anybody in the Bible that had an encounter with Jesus or had an encounter in the, even in the Old Testament, Rahab included, that had an encounter with Jesus that wasn't changed. Forever, one way or the other. They came to God or they, or they flee. There's a, there's a transformation process that happened. And so it produces change. This faith needs to produce change. It needs to produce kingdom. You can't be the same. You can't just say, I believe that God is God, and so I'm not going to hell and keep doing everything you've always done. There's not any change in your life and expect to actually be a son or a daughter. It just, it doesn't go together. You know, we get into this theology of once saved, always saved. And it doesn't matter what you do because you've made a commitment. You know, and, I, and I go like this. I, I was thinking about this all week. I didn't know if I was going to say this or not. But I go, what does that matter? Why does that even matter? We shouldn't be thinking like that. That's bad thinking. 
We, we should be warning to be changed. We should believe God. We should count it our joy when we fall into the trials because we know God's going to shape us and mold us. And in the end, we're going to be more like him. And we want that. We desire that. We don't love sin. We love God. We love righteousness. We're not trying to, we're not trying to hang on to sin. We're trying to grab righteousness. We're pursuing righteousness. Why? Because we're sons and daughters. There needs to be transformation in our lives. It, 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 we need to be teachable. We need to be transformable. And then we need to be tactical. It produces something. Grace produces something. You don't come to the cross. You're not wooed to the cross. And that is the end of grace. Sin doesn't have any power over you anymore. It doesn't have any power over me anymore. Death doesn't have power over us anymore. Lest we deny it. Or unless we give it power. In other words, unless we agree with hell. The only way it has power over us is if we'll agree with it. And that's, that's the difference between us and the demons. The difference between us and the demons is they just won't agree with God. And James is saying, Listen, you need to be teachable. You need to know the Word. You need to let the Word of God transform you so that you can produce kingdom. And then when you do, you need to get tactical. You need to know that God created you for good works. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says, You were saved by grace, not by, uh, by faith. For good works. Look to the person to the left and the right said, you were saved for good works. You weren't saved so you won't burn in hell. You were saved for good works. It never says, it never says you were saved so you won't burn in hell. That's not why you were saved. You were saved to produce kingdom. And we've got that so messed up. What we want is we want to be a believer, we want to go to church, and we want to keep doing what we've always done. And we don't want the results that that produces. We want God to rescue us out of our, all our bad decisions instead of actually starting to agree and align ourselves with God so that it can actually produce righteousness in us. And James is saying, listen, faith without works is dead. Now, as we, as we keep going, we have to understand what James is talking about is behavior modification. <laughs> How many understand, have, have kids? How many, if you've got kids, raise your hand. If you've if, if you got grandkids, raise your hand. If you know people with kids, raise your hand. Okay, good. That's all of us. So, we know what behavior modification is like. God is in the behavior modification business. When you commit to Christ, he wants to transform you into his image. It is his desire. 
It is what he's calling us to do. That's what James is talking about. He's, he's just saying to you and me, when you come to Jesus, when you're full of faith, it will produce fruit. It'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. It'll produce spiritual gifts. You'll be transformed. You're going to be made complete. You're going to be made perfect. You're going to be made mature where you should be based on the length of time you've known the Lord. He's going to begin behavior modification in your life so that you now produce righteousness and not hell. But, but, but watch this. So we've already got this. He's, he says this. He, he says it in verse 70. Thus also faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, it's dead. Now, any time that Scripture talks about something on multiple occasions, you need to take note. All right? So, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that and there's one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. Do you want to know that? But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? The answer to that is, you don't want to know. <laughs> are you trying to, are you trying to peel that away from the accountability? And then he starts to argue, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac as his son on the altar? You know the story. Abraham gets a word from God that he wants to go sacrifice his son, his only son, which is interesting because he had Ishmael. <laughs> Study that out a little bit. So he says, go take your son, your only son, and go sacrifice him. Since the next morning, Abraham left. And he took, he took all that he needed, all his servants go, and then he takes Isaac up the mountain. He leaves everybody else down there, puts the wood on Isaac's back, they start up the mountain, and the guy and, and he tells his servants, "We'll be back," because he knows, and he already has seen the gospel. Abraham knows the gospel that God is able to raise his son from the dead, and then God provides the lamb, and he does it on the same mountain that Jesus is crucified on. It's a big God we serve. But do you want to know, oh foolish man, the faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham like that? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works, faith was made perfect, complete, mature. His faith matured because of what he did. It, was, it, it, it came to fruition. And the scripture was fulfilled which says Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. Why was he called the friend of God? Because he obeyed. Michael said it earlier, simple obedience. You see then that a man is justified by works. <laughs> That'll mess people up. That's why people don't like this book. You're justified by your works and not by faith only. 
It matters what we do. It matters how we act. And your faith is being tested based on how you respond to certain things, whether you were going to respond the way God would respond. And there is accountability in that with the Lord. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works which she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, <laughs> so the as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Now, how, 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 how bold and how clear can he get to the believer that we have to bear good works? What's good works? Good works is kingdom, how God would respond. And, and we have to be responding to God. Well, first of all, you've got to know what he says. You have to know the Word of God so that you can actually do the Word of God. If you don't know that showing partiality is against God's Word, then you could show partiality and not know that you are messing up because you don't know that it's against God's Word. But if you know God's Word, then you can begin to understand That partiality and things like that aren't kingdom. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. And verse in chapter four, verse seventeen, he sums it up like this. I'm getting ahead of myself because I'll get there one day, but. <clears throat> He says this, if you know what to do and you don't do it, that's sin to you. All right, now, let's, let's grab this real quick and understand what he's trying to say in James. He's saying, he's saying now count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into various trials, because testing of your faith produces endurance, and when endurance does its work, you'll be complete, mature. You'll be like, you'll be like Christ. You'll be transformed when it, when it does that. But if you know what to do and you say, and you say, this is the test, this is one of the tests, well, I understand that this is what God wants me to do, but I just ain't doing it. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, and, and I understand, but, you know, mercy triumphs over judgment. Praise the Lord. I don't have to do anything because mercy triumphs over judgment. But it only does that for people who show mercy. If you know what is righteous and you don't do it, that's sin to you. So let's, let's, let's replace the word sin. If you know what to do and you don't do it, then you miss the mark. And you're failing the test because this is really just a test of your faith. Your faith in what? Whether, whether God's grace and work at the cross and his power working in your life is able to produce righteousness in you. You've got faith in the work of the cross to do what it says it's going to do. And you respond to that. You, you see that and you say, Lord, Lord, I see, I see that partiality is, is sin. It's ingrained in me, Lord. For four generations, 
I've seen partiality. For, 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 it's, partiality is all over our culture. I mean, how do you live in America and not be partial? I mean, capitalism is partial. I can't do it on my own. I need your grace. Your grace just didn't save me. Your grace gives me the power not to be partial. Your grace gives me the ability to bear the fruit of the kingdom so I actually look like you do to the rest of the world. That's what James is saying. Your faith is being tested. You know the right thing to do. Will you respond to God and bear the fruit of the kingdom? Will you believe and have faith that the cross is bigger than your tendencies? My tendencies. Will we say to the Lord, Father, I want to be like you. There's nothing about me that doesn't want to look like you. I'm not like the demons. I don't believe that you're just God. I believe I'm your son. I believe I'm your daughter. I believe I'm adopted. I'm adopted. I'm an heir. And because I believe those things, and because I believe that the, the grace and the salvation that came on the cross is intended so that I could live and not intended for my death, then I can bear the fruit of the kingdom now. And I can get better and better and better. Robert and I had lunch this week. And we were just talking about how much in progress we are, man. There's not a one of us that's not in progress. We're all in progress. If you know what to do and you don't do it, you're missing the mark. If you know what to do and you don't do it, you're missing the mark. Allow the grace of God to transform you, <laughs> teach you, and give you tactics to bear fruit in the kingdom. Amen. Amen. James is not as hard and as bad as it would seem. He's just challenging the snot out of us of our behavior modification. It, it, it's required, isn't it? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that there are expectations from you that our behavior would be modified because we've come in contact with you. Because you've wooed us and we believe and have faith, we're not going to be like the demons and just know that you're God. We're going to allow you to change us. 
we're not going to let our emotions define our theology. We're going to understand that we have been adopted into the family of God. We are representatives of Christ. We are little Christs. That's what that means. Christians, little Christs. As he was in this world, so are we. We're heirs and strangers here because we are kingdom. We bear your fruit. We bear kingdom fruit because we're sons and daughters of God. We believe and understand because of who we are, because of your great sacrifice, that we are in process of being transformed into the image of Christ. And that day to day to day to day to day to day, from glory to glory to glory, we look more like you. And we're all in progress. No, long, no matter how long we've known you, God, you expect us to submit ourselves to behavior modification based on your great grace. It's not by power. It's not by might. It's by my spirit, says the Lord. The reason, Lord, that we can be successful is your great grace in us. It's your great grace. It's your power working in us that does more than we can do on our own. This is not self-discipline. This is submission and worship to the Most High God and to His ways. Jesus, I don't want to play games and I don't want to keep being who I've always been. I don't want to keep sticking my toe in sin and sin when I can get away with. I want to understand God. righteousness and I don't love sin. I love right. Say that with me. I love righteousness and I don't love sin. Say that with me again. Say it loud like you mean it. I love righteousness. I don't love sin. Transform me, God. Transform me, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for our podcast. Eastside Church exists to help people encounter Jesus, be equipped to grow and engage their community. For more information, please go to our website at eastsidechurch.co.